Hot Chase Oaks, man, I love you. It is great to be with you today. My name is Blake. If you're new around here, I get to fill in for Jeff today. He's out on a study break, so we'll be praying for him while he's away. But man, we just want to welcome everybody here at Legacy and all of you at all of our campuses and online all around the world. Thanks for joining us and being a part of us. Hopefully you already are going, man, this place rocks. I feel right at home here and I love this church. So I hope you're having a phenomenal summer and that you're having a, a blast. For me, man, I'm fired up because I get to uh, go with this church to, on this week. On Monday, I'm leaving to go uh, to Casa Hogar which is a ministry through you guys that's in uh, Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. And there's like this boys orphanage that I get to install this wood shop with my nonprofit. And the the small group that's from here, I get to kind of go. So I'm so fired up about doing that. Hopefully you're just having a phenomenal summer in the pool and having a blast. So, man, it's just great to be here with you this weekend. I love you, Chase Oaks. And so I'm just going to say something to you. Yeah. I, I have something to tell you, and I'm just going to get this over with. So, um, this is my last time that I'll be with you, and this is my last sermon. And so, I just want to tell you that I've been called by God to go and lead a church in Peachtree City, Georgia, and I'm going to be the lead pastor there. And so, we uh, have listened to his call, we believe that it's him. And so we're going to, we've already moved there. We moved there this week, actually. And so uh, we we believe God's doing that. And so uh, I I am super sad to leave you. I have loved this church. I've loved this family. I'll just say it out loud. I, I think it's my favorite church in the country. I just love this house. And, and the yeah, you can clap for this place. It's amazing. Uh, so... Something I'll, I'll say is that I've got a chance to kind of look under the hood of this house and this church. And if it's a car, I'm just telling you, the engine is is amazing. And the, the staff, uh, the elders, anointed godly men that are solid. You can trust them. And I, do, I like hanging with them. They're funny. And uh, I, I enjoy the, the staff that's here, um, especially Jeff. Jeff's become one of my closest friends. And he'll never know the influence that he's had on my life. You guys have helped shape me and prepare me and get me ready uh, to take this next uh, job and assignment from God. And I just can't thank you enough. So um, today I'm fired up because I have something to give you. I'm very excited to give it to you. So here's the deal. I'm going to give it to you on a silver platter. Okay. Now what I have to give you, uh, it's actually invisible, uh, but it's my favorite thing in the world. And I, I'm really fired up to give this to you, but I'm not going to give it to you yet. You have to wait for a little bit later, okay? So I'm not, I'm not giving it to you yet. Okay, are we cool with that? All right, I don't care if you are cool. You can't fire me, right? So, so, oh man. So this little church that we're taking, we're super excited, but there's not a lot of resources and it's a small staff. And in fact, we don't have enough money right now to hire a kids pastor. And so my wife is stepping in as the interim kids pastor. And so... There's already a scandal in the church. The, uh, the lead pastor sleeping with the kids pastor. And so, I'm telling you, man, it's problem. They have no idea what they're in store for, do they? I mean, I kind of feel sorry for them. So, um, today we're in a series that's called uh, Things That Keep Us Up at Night. And the thing that I'm talking about is this word, distrust. 
And so this sermon is actually very raw and vulnerable for me because it's going to be sort of my story. And so I'm going to tell you what happened in my life and in my journey in ministry. And uh, it's going to be really painfully honest. Um, But uh, I, again, uh, it doesn't matter if you don't want me to because you can't fire me. You're not getting rid of me. So so I'm just going to tell you my story. You okay with that? Okay, so... uh, if you're lacking in trust, it's a real problem for a follower and a believer in Christ. That's sort of where it begins. And so if you're lacking in faith, we call that what? A crisis of faith. And so um, I would say I've been sort of borderline close to that because of something that happened that I'll, I'll explain. Because here's the thing about as followers of Christ, it starts and ends with faith. Right. The whole Bible from beginning to end is a story about people of faith. In fact, in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Right. So that's where it starts. It starts from a God who spoke. You have to start there. That takes faith. And then he was not just speaking, but the universe was sort of coming out of his mouth. He was speaking and the Milky Way was made and the Milky, the, you know, mountains and the whole earth and all of you jokers. Everything was made because God was speaking, said, let there be and there was. And so that takes faith to believe that. And not just that, we also have to believe that uh, in Hebrews 11, it's sort of a passage about the heroes of our faith. The ones that came before us, that taught us how to live so that we'll know how to live by faith. And so this takes an enormous amount of like, okay, so what did they do? How did they do it? Right. When we look back to these these great men and women of old, the Hall of Fame, we call them the goats, right? The greatest of all time. And so for me, I I look at them and I go, I I don't know, man, can I live like that? And they did some scandalous things. And so, man, you know, so, wow. And the the father of that, his name was Abraham. Abraham. uh He's the kind of the birthplace for our lineage from the people of Israel, right? The whole, the holy nation, God's chosen ones. And so it came from him. And why? I'm going to answer just real quick. We'll do a quick history on Abraham. Abraham left the land. He was in his home and he went to a far distant land and he, he settled there. And while he was there, he was given this promise. And that promise was everything to him. He trusted in that. He had faith in that promise. And the promise was that his offspring would be as many as the stars of the sky and the sands of the, of the ocean, sea, beaches, whatever. You get it. So he's going to like be a lot of descendants. And he's like, that's kind of weird because my wife Sarah's barren. So how are you going to do that? And so a miracle happens and his wife has Isaac. And so Isaac's like the firstborn of this offspring. He's like, Isaac's here. We're going to have an offspring. Awesome. And then God says, hey, kill him. I want you to murder Isaac. I'm sorry, what? You said he's going to be... No, kill him. So they go on this journey up a mountain and he takes Isaac with him. Isaac's like 12 to 14. Okay? He's like 100 plus. And so they're going up this mountain. And I don't think we give Isaac enough faith here. Like he's a young strapping boy, right? Like he's going up with his dad, probably helping carry all the stuff and carry the wood and all that. They get up there and he's like, hey, dad, where's the ram? Where's the sheep? Like, what are you going to sacrifice? Uh, well, son, since you brought that up, I would pick you up, but I can't. 
You're going to need to climb up there for me. And I don't, maybe he picked him. I don't know. Maybe he tied him down. But that moment I've always thought about between a father and a son, like dad, they had to both have this confusion. And so he grabs the knife and he's going to plunge it into his son to kill him. And an angel grabs his hand. And that's why he's called the father of our faith. I don't know that I have that kind of trust. I want to have that kind of trust. I I want to be the kind of person that says, I'll do whatever. I'll say whatever. Because that's, that's what Abraham did. That's why he was known as the father of our faith. But recently, I've been made aware of the fact that I, I uh, have a lot of distrust in my life. So let me start with the story. Recently, I rode on a 300-mile bike ride to raise awareness and funding for my nonprofit. Before I left, um, I needed to have a conversation with my wife because the day before, something had happened that I felt like we needed to talk through before I left for a week to ride my bike. And so I want to call that moment... Um, an intense fellowship. <laughs> so we sit down in the truck and I'm going to tell you what it's about. It was something something dumb. It usually is. But um, my daughter, Madison, was going to be proposed to at the beach. I've showed you that video. And it was a big deal. I had all these cameras. Up. It was a big production. I wanted to capture it. Right. So we're in the house. And before we left to go to the beach, I say to Madison, hey, uh, baby, maybe you should... You know, think about fixing your hair. And so my wife was worried that it was a surprise and like, you're going to give this away. Like, don't tell her to fix her hair. So she's like, no, don't worry about it. Don't fix your hair. And I was like, no, really, uh, you got like a rat's nest going on. You should you know, please comb that. So I'm trying to make funny of it. And she's like, no, we need to go. Let's go because it's all right. And I was like, so we left her hair looked awful. And so we do this whole video. We take the pictures, the whole deal. And guess what? On the way home, after the whole moment happens and crying and all that, right? We're in the car and my daughter's looking through the pictures. What did she say? Hey, mom, like, why didn't you tell me to fix my hair? And I was like, now, I, I didn't say anything with my mouth, but I probably, you know, my face probably said a lot. And so the next day we're sitting in the car and I said, uh, honey, can I talk to you about something before I leave? Because, man, I just want to tell you that sometimes in moments like that, when I'm trying to lead through something, it just makes me feel like you don't trust my leadership. And she got really quiet and she looked at me with an intensity. Uh, you know, I looked at her and, and I continued. <laughs> Guys, if you see the look, you shut your face. <laughs> and so I, I go into it. Like, I'm serious. I think a lot of guys feel this way. Like, I, I was trying to do this thing and in front of the whole family, you just kind of discredited my words and I don't think you trust me. It got very colorful after that. And I could tell I struck something deep within her. Like she, she was looking at me, tears started to come out of her face and with great passion, 
she says, I trust you. And I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, like, this isn't just about Madison's hair, is it? <laughs> and so she, she goes into, I couldn't possibly trust you more. I have raised your four children with you. I have been in building businesses with you. We have served in six churches all across the country, different states. I have moved with you. We have gone in foreign lands and put in wood shops with you. There is no way I could possibly trust you more. I trust you. And I was like, whoo, glory to God. And then she says to me something that really did like sink in. She goes, the problem is Blake Bergstrom. She might have said my middle name. I think it was. She goes, the problem is I don't think you believe or receive my love or trust. I was like, wait, hold on. You really don't think that I believe or receive the love and the trust that you have for me? She was like, no, I don't. And so that, like, that made me go, wow, something in me is broken. And it made me realize this. I, I don't know how to trust. If my bride, who knows everything about me, she's done all that, I mean... If there's anybody on the planet that actually, you know, is into all this mess, then then if I can't trust her, I I can't trust anybody. And so I I realized something that had happened in me. It ultimately wasn't just about trusting in Allie. It wasn't just about trusting in my family uh, or even my own children or even trusting any of you jokers. Like what had happened is I had taken the distrust and the brokenness and the pain from my past of people being awful and being mean. And I had transferred that trust horizontal, distrust horizontally, right, to a distrust vertically. And I had placed on God this distrust because of my distrust for man. Have you ever done that? I don't think I'm alone in that. I think that a lot of us have probably subconsciously placed distrust on him. He doesn't deserve that. And so this has kind of made me do this deep dive into my heart and my psyche and counseling. And, and I, I've been diving into the scriptures and, and I've kind of realized something that's pretty big to me. And that's, that's this truth. Distrust destroys passion. And I've seen that happen like with coworkers, people that you, you know, you saw them, they had trust and they were like the golden child and everything they did blossomed and everybody, all the boss, everybody's all like, man, wow, this guy's amazing. Right. And then that trust is gone. And it's like, what happened, man? He was like rock star. And now he has no passion. Distrust destroys passion. Right? It's not just in working environment. You've seen this. When you're dating someone, right? You're like trying to find that guy or girl. If you're single, you guys know that you're trying to like, you know, find somebody that you can trust. And it's so hard. And so sometimes you're like, I'm not going to give you my trust because you're going to hurt me. You want to, but you're like, you want to keep it, you know, safe. And so you don't want to step into that. And so 
You've been in a relationship when you had it, it was awesome, and then it was gone and there was nothing. Trust is everything. And when it's, it's gone, it's so hard to restore and regain, right? It takes everything you've got to, to rebuild it. So this made me think about like, who do I trust and why in your life? I want you to think about the names, see the faces. Who do you trust and why? It's probably because over a long period of time, they have earned it. They earned a voice in, in your life to speak into you. And not just that, they probably had this, they gained this confidence. The word is confidence. To gain confidence in someone is what trust and faith is. It's Hebrews 11, the definition is an, an, an assurance, this confident assurance that we're given from, from the Lord to give to people, right? And so, something we say about somebody that you have this kind of trust and confident assurance, he's like, man, that dude's solid, right? You guys would probably say that about Jeff. That guy's solid. Why do we say that he's solid? Because he has truth. At the end of the day, it's truth that we build upon, right? And when they're not truthful and they're not trustworthy, then you go, man, I, I got shady. You're either solid or shady, one of the two, right? And so I've been thinking about this. And something that I've been thinking about, it's bizarre, kind of off subject, but I've been thinking about trapeze artists. I think they're dumb. I don't understand them. If it was me, and I was asked to, you know, okay, what you do is you grab a hold of the thing and you swing, and then you got to jump over to that guy on the other swing. Just swing there, go over to him. Just go to that. I'd be like, okay, here we go. I'm going to go. I'm going to do this in just a minute. I'm going to let go of this thing. I'm going to go fly to that guy, right? I'd be like, no, you guys just let me down. I'm not letting go of this thing forever, right? I'm just swinging forever. I'd never let go of it. And I think that's, that's probably telling. There's freedom and there's beauty in letting go. But for me, sometimes what I'm holding on to is very toxic. And there was about three to five people in my life that had done a lot of damage. And I believed them. There's thousands that say great things. But these three to five, that's who I believe. They're telling the truth. And they had said hor- horrible things that I was just like holding on to. I was gripping it. And I knew I'd have freedom and beauty if I'd let go of it. But I just wanted to believe this. And so what I did was the distrust that I have for this small group of people, of my old friends, I was placing on any new friend that I was going to make. And so it made me keep this kind of like, man, I, 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 I want to, but the way I say this thing about distrust, getting from distrust to trust is like, I want to want to, but I'm just going to hold on to this thing. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've felt the problem of gripping distrust and you've, you've realized that, man, I, I, I'm kind of just holding on to this distrust. But I've realized that, that that distrust, it's a highway to bitterness, man. And bitterness is drinking poison and wishing it on someone else. It doesn't work out well for you. And I was just kind of holding on. I realized it's in me. And maybe for you, you've experienced that kind of pain. Maybe it was from a person that did something horrific to you. And it was an, an event or maybe it was a moment or something happened that, you know, the, the horrible thing that car wreck or the accident or the 
train wreck, whatever it was, emotionally sometimes it causes us to, like me, it, it, um, the distrust is what helps me. The distrust helps me keep pain at arm's distance. And so I'll just hold on to my distrust, thank you. And I'm not going to let go of it because it keeps you away from me. And it's a perceived safety and self-protection, allowing myself to not have to be intimate and try to connect with you because that's doing going from this to like, uh, I'm going to let you in. Here we go. Here we go. I'm, man, that's vulnerable to let people in and try to trust again. But that's who I want to be. That's who I am. In the past, I used to love so big, like open arms. And I just gave of myself. I started, I started in this process of going, how can I get back to that? God, I need to get back to that. And so I started asking questions. Lord, can you help me trust again? God, will you help me fix my truster? And help me will myself maybe to trust again? And so I, I wanted to. And so I just dove into the studies of the word. And I started with Jesus. And so... There's this text that I found that was actually very helpful to me. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. Now, let me give you some context. It's Jesus. He's going to the temple. And when he gets there, um, he actually comes upon all of these money changers that are in the church. And they're taking from the people of God and using it for their own selves. And so he's mad about that. You're using the name of God for your own fame and for your own money, right? So you're trying to be greedy and taken off the top. And so he's like, I'm not having this. He walks up in the church and he's like, uh-uh, he's flipping over the tables, right? So he was flipping mad. Thank you. <laughs> That's funny. I wrote that down. I was just giggling in my office. He's flipping mad. <laughs> Anyways, so he comes in. He's like flipping over the tables and he realizes something. He, he's like, man, you guys just, you're just taken from me. You're my people. You're my children. I've, I've sent prophets to you. I've tried to convince you that I... You know, how, when will you believe and receive that I am God? And they're like, in this conversation, they're like, hey, do something, Jesus. Can you do a trick? Do a, a miracle or whatever you do. And they're like, he's like, ah. And so this is what he says. Matthew, John chapter 2, verse 23. This, I can't believe this is in the Bible. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to what? They started to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them. What? Pastors don't preach about this. Jesus, another version says, never fully entrusted himself to man. Because he knew all about people. (laughs) That word is gnusko or gnosko. And it's like intimate kind of no. It's like the as intimate as um, even relations, you know, the godly kind of relations in the bed, kind of like intimate. God, I know you. He knows everything about you. All the stuff that you think you're hiding. I know it. I know he knows all about people. And then it says no one needed to tell him about. Woo. No one needed to tell him about human nature. For he knew what was in each person's heart. Whew, man. And so that made me aware of something. It made me aware that if Jesus felt that way towards man, that maybe it's okay for me to to do this, to proceed with caution. (laughs) Because humans, 
And I don't need to say because because humans. People are people and hurt people hurt people, right? And so um, I love the way that Steve Irwin said this. He's a crocodile hunter. He said, crocodiles are easy. They try to kill and eat you. People are harder. Sometimes they pretend to be your friend first. <laughs> uh, I'm also aware that this kind of teaching is dangerous. It's dangerous to t- say to people, hey, listen, man, don't ever trust nobody. You can't. They're just worthless. Like, you can't live like that, right? We don't start with to never trust. Because we've met that person. They're cold and hard and they're not embracing, right? Maybe you've heard this statement before. Trust takes years to build. Seconds to break. And forever to repair. We've all, we've all had that. We've all been at the place where, man, I... I've been hurt by people and, and it's kept us up at night. That person that, that did that, that betrayed you, you thought about them and you played over conversations in your head and I'm like, I'm not going to say this to them, and, right? And so we realize at a very young age that it's the people that are the closest to us that can do the most damage to us. And so we, we build a defense mechanism It's natural for us to do that. You're not a bad person for building a defense mechanism. In fact, I'll say it like this. Sometimes we embrace trust because it's our only defense against betrayal. It's how we defend ourselves. It's like, man, I got to keep safe. I, I, I can't let you in. But man, it's not. There's, there's no. Where's the warmth in that? Where's the, so we do it out of fear. We do it out of a place to run away to so that I can isolate and keep safe. But let me say, let me say this. Distrust causes us to detach where trust compels us to attach. And so in my conversation with Jeff about taking this new lead role, He said, Blake, I've been thinking a lot about you recently. And man, I, I just know that you're the kind of person that attaches. But this, you haven't been doing that. So I've been praying that God would open up a door for you to attach again. And so I know this all too well. De- detaching from people is, is my way of like distrusting. And so it's, it's choosing to say, I, I'm going to stay away from all y'all jokers. It just hurt people. And I haven't wanted to admit it, but my, my wife sort of like ripped off the scab. And so I'm like, man, I've got to deal with this. And it's, I've realized it's so vulnerable to trust. It's so like, I just, we just don't want to, right? And I, I haven't wanted to, to like say it, but I've been paralyzed to give anybody my trust for a long time. I left full-time vocational church work six years ago. In 2013, I'm like, I've been on staff for 20 years. And I, I've been serving in the body of Christ as a staff member for a long time. And I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. It's like, I'm, I'm going to just come in, I'm going to travel, and I'll preach, and then I'll leave. Right? I'm like, hey everybody, here's how you forgive. Okay, figure that out, bye. Right? And that's like, that's not healthy. Like, 
You say that and you teach about forgiveness, then you've got to like deal with it with one another. Like, hey, you family members aren't getting along, staff's not getting along, and you know, this, this is the work of the church. It's like getting people to get along. Right? Being unified, having one heart and one mind. That's work. I'm like, I'm just tired. So for six years, I've sort of been healing. Can I tell you, God's restored me. He's healed me. And I'll tell you the story of how he did that. It's, it's a hard, yeah, praise God. Yeah, so, so the, the work, the work has been tremendous. And you are part of that. This church, staff, I'm telling you. So I, I was on the bike ride. <laughs> and there I was, just grinding it out. And I'm alone, and I'm praying, and God, my truster's broken. I left my wife, we just got in this fight. The very next day, I'm like, going up from, you know, we went from Key West all the way to Tampa. And so I'm on, on that whole stretch of miles, this massive seven-mile bridge, if you've ever been there. And I'm just like, going. And I'm like, God, I don't trust. My trust is broken, and I, don't, I need help. And it was like a three-hour-long conversation between me and God. And I'm crying. I can't see. It's dangerous, stupid to ride your bike and cry. I'm telling you, don't do that. So I'm in it, though. And I'm like, Father, I need help to trust you again. I've transferred. I've, I believe that what, what's happened to me is your fault. You allowed me to serve these churches. And you know what, what happened. You know that I was broken because of men that had a position and authority in the church. They were your people. They were chosen. I walked under their authority and I was trying to serve you, but I was also serving them. And they were, they were embezzling money. Every kind of sexual sin you can imagine. These men that were leading the church that were, it was gross. I have stories, man. Things that happened that just really broke me. And I, over time, I just, I don't want to be around these people. There's just like filth, disgusting stuff that's, that's happening in church leaders that are doing vile, evil things. And so I distanced myself from this. And so God's like, Blake, you can trust me. And so I had this moment like, okay, I believe your trust and I receive your trust in God. And it was this moment of just breaking. I felt it. There was this, you know, release. It was a shackles, chains landing on the concrete. And I'm like, Whoo, I'm free. And so I felt this transformation happening in me. And then I started going, okay, if I can trust in God, maybe I can trust in Blake. So I started talking to Blake. Hey, bro. Look. You can trust you. Look at the kids you have. Look at your family. Look at the ministry that God's done through you throughout the years. God's fruit and His power and His anointing has been on your life. I started telling Blake who He really is. And I, I liked what He had to say. He spoke some good words over Blake that day. I started to believe Blake. And that's hard, man. You guys know you better than anybody. And it's hard to trust you. But you are all you have. And so you have to be able to look in the mirror and say, I... 
I, I believe in you. And I receive the trust and the love that you have for you, Blake. And from those two conversations, I was like, hey, you know what? This is getting fun. Maybe I should talk about my wife, God. So I have this conversation about Allie. I started thanking him for the way she really does support and love and trust. You don't understand. My wife's the best. She's all into this mess. <laughs> and I can. I believe and I receive it, the, tr- the love and the trust that she has for me. And then just, I'm like, oh, hey, I'm, in. I'm just fun. I'm going to do this. I'm like, I'll do this with my mom and dad. And my brother. I started, my, my family, my, my kids, like, hey, I, I believe and receive your trust. I'm, I'm done keeping everybody at arm's distance. I'm going to let you in. Come on. Right? I got room here. And so I just started, God, how can you help me love even the church again? Will you help me love your people again like I, like I used to? And so this process, man, and it went on for a week. And by the end of that week, I was like, I cannot wait to be on staff again. I can't wait to like do a baby shower and do baby dedications and do premarital counseling with two people that are going to get married and they don't have a clue what they're getting into. <laughs> I, I can't wait to be the pastor that's called when there's a death and be the man that steps up when it's time to deliver the word of God. I, I want to do that again full. I want to lead a staff again. I want to dive in, man. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm excited about being hurt again. I'm excited about letting people be close enough that they can. And so the Lord's done a miraculous breakthrough in my life. And I just want to tell you that in spite of all the pain, and maybe because of the pain, I'm excited to try. I'm excited to trust again. And I'm I'm ready to, to work through all the pain of like being connected. All the pain of like choosing the connections better than isolation. I'm gonna, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out of that season. And now I'm just going to love. And I, if you guys know I love big, I do. But if my lover is broken, I probably think a lot of y'all, y'all's lover is broken. Let's, let's love big. Let's trust big. Let's not hold people back. So here I know I'm talking to a church. And sometimes we hurt each other. We devour our own in the church. Stop that. Church hurt is real. But church hurts just people hurt. And people hurt you. My, my challenge for you is not to think that because you are hurt in a church, by church people, that it was God that did it to you. It wasn't. It was people. And people are people are people. No matter where you go, I've been all over the world. I think they're about the same. They're just, you know, catty and dissentious and disputatious and disunified. And that's sort of, yeah, that's normal, Right? It's kind of like me hitting triple bogeys. That's about right. We, we broken and we hurt each other. And, and that's okay. Because we're still trying to all figure it out and, and love each other. And so I do want to tell you, church, I'm healed. God has restored me and redeemed me and he's prepared me. And it's because of the pain that I'm prepared. And I'll say that I, I do have something to give you today. Now I'm fired up to give you this. Woo! What I have to give you is real. It's invisible, but it's real. See, when I started in ministry, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I had studied the Bible for three years at Bible college. I was like ready to spit fire, baby. So I came out of the gate strong. I had this youth ministry of 15 kids. And I was just telling them everything that I knew about the book of Colossians. 
I was telling him about the trade routes. I was telling him all about the city of Colossae. I had maps up on the wall. I was like going, this is where Colossae is, children. And they were bored out of their mind. I was like so smart though. I was going to tell him how smart I was. And this trusted professor came to me. One of the children, had a, had a, he had a son in the ministry. And so he was in the back of the room. And he said, Blake, I'd like to meet with you. Can we have lunch? Said, yes, we'll go to lunch, Dr. Alexander. So I went to lunch with him and he said, Blake, let me ask you a question. Why do you preach? And I was like, well, I have to give them the word of God, teach them about the city of Colossae. Um, teach them everything I know about the word of God. That's good, Blake. That's good. Why else do you preach? Well, I'm teaching about Jesus. I'm teaching about forgiveness. I'm teaching about how to forgive each other. I'm drag as many people as I can by the face to get to heaven. Snatch them out of hell. That's what I'm doing. Right. And so that's good, Blake. That's good. Why else do you preach? And I was like, Dr. Alexander, I don't know. Why do I preach? <laughs> and he said, there's one reason to preach, Blake. Every single week, you need to bring him something on a platter. Bring him one thing. And that one thing is this. Every single week, you show up and you give him hope. And the following week, they're going to need it again. <laughs> give him hope. The week after that, you have one thing to give him on platter. It's hope. And so three years ago, Chase Oaks, I got to come and start bringing the good word. I just want to show you that that's the good word. Hopefully, I, hopefully, you're walking away every single week that you've heard me talk about Jesus and you've experienced hope. And hopefully today you're, you're starting to have trust enough again to believe that we can't hope. That even though you, your hope has been broken... From people, don't put that on God. Because He is trustworthy. We can place our trust in Him. And so, if ever before in human history people need to be reminded of the hope that we have, it's now. And if you are Filled with the Spirit of God, you're a dispenser of hope. And I would ask you, are you telling your friends? Are you telling your neighbors? Are they walking away from bumping into you and going, man, I have hope now? Do they see it, feel it, and believe it because you're walking in hope? Because here's what I've learned is that in our lifespan, it seems like I've watched morality and ethics sort of crumble away. I've seen it disappear. The family unit's so broken, it's crumbling before our eyes. And if ever before, these invisible words I speak about like trust and love and faith and hope, they're so rare to find. We need to ask ourselves, why is the world so filled with anxiety and despair and hatred and anger and depression? And why is suicide at an all-time high? It seems as if despair and hopelessness are all around us. Let's not miss this, man. We can't build our hope on the wrong things because it's certainly not in our stuff. It's not in the house. It's not in the cars. It's not in material gains. That is not providing hope. We're the richest country in the world and we certainly aren't happy. We're certainly not walking with hope. And can I just remind you that if you're a follower and believer in Jesus, that your faith and your hope isn't wishful thinking. 
You have it. It's real and it is certain. It is assured that our hope is real. It's given to us from a God that's real. In Christ we have assurance. We have security. We have a Savior because He has saved us from all this mess down here. He's made everything different in our lives. He changes us to be able to trust Him again when we're broken by the world. He, he fulfilled the prophecies of the past. His Spirit is in us right now to give us the pressure, the, the power to be in the present. And his, He's coming again because He is our future and He is our hope. <laughs> you guys believe that church so man as I was as I was preparing this talk I just was like walking around my house and around my neighborhood and I was just singing and the song I was singing is this I was singing my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So, uh, <laughs> Jeff Jones can't sing like that. <laughs> I just said that out of insecurity. He can, uh, he, he's so smart and he memorizes every word. So, I sometimes hate him because of how smart he is. So, I just got to brag about what I got. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> I love you. So I was thinking about this song, and as I was singing it, I was like, well, "Dare not trust the sweetest frame." What does that mean? <laughs> and so I did some research. Like, what? Who wrote that song? And there's this guy named Edward Moat, and he's only written one song. And this is all he's got. <laughs> and it's a pretty good one if it's all you got. But I learned about him, and I couldn't believe it. I found out that he's a, he was with this guy that was a believer, and his family didn't believe. And so this guy would sing all day. And so he started writing songs while he was working with this guy. And the guy was a cabinet maker. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> because I'm a woodworker, and I, I love framing. Whether it's a house or framing a cabinet, I'm like, yo, oh. So he's framing. And he called it sweet. That's what I'd say. He's sweet framing. And so I was like thinking about this, like, oh, so man, when he's saying this, he's talking about, you know, something that holds things together, right? It's invisible. You don't see the framing. It's behind the walls and it's hidden. But man, it's holding the thing up. And he's saying, hey, I don't care what it is your place and your trust is. If it's here on planet Earth, you can't put your faith and hope in that thing. Those aren't trustworthy, even if it is a sweet house. Your trust and your hope, it can't be on that. It has to be on one other thing, and that is that our hope must be built on nothing less than the finished work of Jesus who died on the cross for us, right? Jesus, man, he's the hope of the world. It's not this stuff. It can't be found in our finances or our career or, or even my own success and my accolades. Our hope is never found in our own will, not our self-reliance or even our own dependence. Our hope is never found in, in even in a human. You might want to place your hope and trust in your pastor or your coach or your teacher or your parents or even your own kids or your spouse. But can I just remind you, those things are passing away. They're fleeting. All will ultimately disappoint. 
right? None of those things will satisfy. None of those things can save you. And none of those things are secure. Our only hope is in Christ Jesus. He will not fail. He cannot fail. He's already won the victory. We we can have assurance that hope in Jesus is the only thing that will stand the test of time because He's our cornerstone. He's our rock. He's our foundation. He is the structure that's holding all of us up. He sustains all things. And today I can shout at the loudest voice possible that on Christ, the solid rock I stand because all of the ground is sinking sin. Amen. Amen. Woo! <laughs> oh. So yeah, trapeze artist. What are, what are they doing? I'm so dumb. They just do these flips and they just, wow! I hope you catch me. It's stupid. And so I found this quote from a trapeze artist. I just like can't believe he said this. This is so good. He says, everyone applauds for me because when I leap into the air and do the flips and twists, they just go bananas. And they think that I'm a hero. But the real hero is the catcher. Because he's the one that's carefully watching. He's paying attention to you. And he's waiting. He knows you're struggling to let go and to trust him. But his timing is perfect and the only thing that he I have to do is to stretch out my hands and trust trust that he will be there to catch me and pull me back up I think the trapeze artists are the ones that coined the phrase let go and let God Chase Oaks I love you if there's anything I can tell you is that you can place your hope and your trust in our God because He is a good Father and He's trustworthy. You can trust Him. And so I want to leave you with a blessing. And this blessing is something I, I want to believe and receive today. And I ask that you do the same at all of our campuses and everyone online. Believe and receive this blessing that comes from the book of Romans 15. In fact, if you have the courage to say this out loud together with me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we just thank you today for teaching us the importance of trust. We repent of the days that we choose not to trust in you. We repent of the days that we choose isolation and self-protection. Today, God, we run into the hands of a good father and we say we trust you, God. We thank you, Father. You're a good God. And today we just declare that we trust you and we believe and receive the trust and the love that you have for us. God, may we be trustworthy. May we be solid. May we speak words of life and truth in this world that desperately needs hope. And God, thanks for reminding us that you sent your son here to die on a cross for us so that we could be saved and washed clean and purified. Today we receive that forgiveness and we believe that you forgive us. 
And we want to walk in the grace that you've given us. And may the world bump into us and experience you, the living God, as they bump into us. May they see you, feel you, and experience us, you because they know us. Jesus. Anyone that's here and listening to these words and needs to be set free and they need to let go of the past in the name of Jesus, I pray you do that right now. Father, may the chains fall off. May the shackles of distrust be gone. Father, may you set us free and let us let go of those things and wholly trust in you. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.